Are you ready for God's word? Are you sure? So uh, last week, the elders honored both Pastor Melissa and I, and so I didn't get a chance to tell you the story I told first service. Would you like to hear it? We've been talking about the uh, defining the church and specifically the vision from, from Revelation 4 and, De- and Ezekiel. So God gave Ezekiel and John a very special revelation, a special revelation of, of four creatures. We call them angelic beings or heavenly beings of some sort. We know they're heavenly because they're with God. And, and in Ezekiel, they're ta- he talks about him carrying the throne of God. And so each of these four creatures have four faces. So each creature has four faces. The one that's a man faces forward. The one that's an ox faces to the left. The one that, um, that is an eagle faces back, opposite of the man. And then you have the lion. And we said that the ox represents service in the church. The church is supposed to serve. We said the eagle represents worship, soaring into the heavenlies and into the throne room of God. And then we said the lion is advancement and warfare, prayer. And think about it. What are we advancing? We're supposed to advance the kingdom of God. And when we advance the kingdom of God, we do it through prayer. And the Bible says that we battle not against flesh and blood. But we battle against principalities. You say, what are principalities? What are thrones and dominions? It's Satan's organization. We battle against Satan's organization. And so when we pray, we're praying that the gospel of grace would go forward. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. Now you say, but pastor, what's your, what's the story we missed? Well, this medallion here was given to me some years ago. And I shared with first service that, um, I never wear anything unless I'm sure of its significance. I don't like putting, I've never, I've never touched a Ouija board. I've never touched tarot cards. I don't do anything uh, that is not honoring to the Lord uh, and and that is, has a dark occultic significance. I just, I just don't believe in that. And if you're, and I'm just going to take a side note. I have to say this because sometimes we allow our children to dabble in things and we think it's cute, it's not. It's dangerous. It's dangerous because it's alluring. And it might feel cute at first, but it's it's designed to get them to step toward something. And you don't want them stepping towards darkness. You want them fleeing darkness and going to the cross. Amen. So so that's just what I I wanted to share with you. Um, That includes movies too. Watch the movies you watch. Okay, anyway, here we go. Some of you are going, wow, pastor was, yeah, that was for you. If you're wondering if it was for you, that's for you, okay? That's how the Holy Spirit works. Some of you are going like, was that for me? I like those Halloween movies. Yeah, that's for you. Okay, here we go. Uh, I just can't let it, I can't leave it alone. I can't leave it alone. I feel like I gotta say it. You gotta watch what you, because you say, oh, it's no big deal. If you're glorifying death, that's a big deal. Because the God of life isn't about that. Isn't about that. So that, that's, I'm, I'm going to move on. So anyway, this medallion had some figures on it that I just didn't understand. I'm like, ah, it's supposed to be Christian, but I don't get it. I don't want to put anything on me that I'm not for sure is Christian. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of counterfeit out there. So I put it in my drawer. Last week, 
in preparation for my message, I just got up and I was antsy. And I thought to myself, I can either keep going over my notes or I can just do something else. I said, let's do something else. (laughs) And I go to my drawer and I just pull out just random silver piece and decide to shine it. I mean, what in the the world? So I take and I find the cloth. You got to take time to go find this cloth because I never shine silver, like never, ever. And I find it and I start shining it. As then I'm looking at it, I go, what the heck is this thing? It was given to me. It's supposed to be a Christian piece. That kind of looks like a, a man. And that one kind of looks like an ox. And that one kind of looks like an eagle. <laughs> Snap! Oh my goodness! That's the lion! It's the man the ox, the eagle, and the lion. And that is not a funky cross. It's a wheel within a wheel. This is a replication of something um, of, of historical, you know, historical nature. And, and I just felt like, wow, Lord, you're speaking to me. I'm on point and we're on point as a church. And today I want to tell you that God wants us on point with the gospel message. The gospel message And specifically, the gospel of grace. What is the gospel of grace? Well, first of all, it's not only known as the gospel of grace. As a matter of fact, the New Testament calls it the gospel of God. Here in Romans 1.1, the Bible says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Later in that same chapter, he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So it's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of Christ. Incidentally, this verse here, verse 17, that's the verse of the day. If you're on you verse and you get the verse of the day, this is the verse of the day. I got up this morning. I go, wow, Lord, you're all over it this morning. Amen. And so the Bible tells us that it's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of Christ. It's also the gospel of peace. This verse in Ephesians 6 is part of last week's message. When Paul said, take on the full armor of God, and he says, take on the breastplate of what? Righteousness, the belt of truth, and put on the sandals of peace and readiness. Do you know that the Bible also says, how wonderful, sweet, peaceful are the feet of those who bring the gospel? Ooh, why? Because their feet come with the gospel of peace. Amen. So there's a, it's the gospel of peace. But in the book of Acts, Paul calls it the gospel of grace. Listen to what he says. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. I don't take I don't hold on to anything this world has to offer. I keep light and I keep focused. I want to finish this race. I don't want anything to keep me from finishing what God called me to do. And listen to what he says. He says, I don't want to just finish. I want to finish with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So you say to yourself, well, what is the gospel of grace? Point number one. I have three simple points. Number one is is what? Number two is why? And number three is how? And this is the way I've structured my message. The first part of my message is more technical. 
The second part, we'll go into a story from God's word and then we'll go into a story, thir- uh, third point from history. And, uh, and, and I wanna share with you about the gospel of grace. What is the gospel of grace? Do you realize that the word gospel was never used in the Old Testament? It's a New Testament term introduced by the gospel writers, introduced by Paul who was given the gospel of grace for the world. You say, but what is it then? Well, it comes from the Greek word euangelon. Euangelon is where we get the word evangelist or evangelism. It literally means good news. Do you realize that this had a very Roman connotation? How so? Well, the Roman Empire had taken this word in the Greek and they used it as a means to report good news from the battlefield. And the reason they talk, well, was it always good news? According to the Romans, yeah. They believed they were going to conquer. They believed they were going to expand. They, and they usually, what? Did. So for centuries, they would report back from the battlefield good news. Good news to who? To the commanders. To ultimately to Caesar, saying, we're conquering. We're winning. The tide has turned. We've taken the city. We've broken their back. We've, we've marched on. And so can you imagine Christian writers in a culture where the culture is very familiar with this word, meaning good news from the battlefield, from the front lines, and Jesus comes and says, guess what? I've got good news for you from the front lines. I've defeated Satan. I've defeated his hordes. I've defeated death. And now you have victory. Isn't that what Paul says? Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? I've swallowed you up and I've rendered you powerless, powerless. Now, anyone who follows me can conquer the grave. That's what he says. And so it literally means good news. Now, let's, 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 uh, let's be a little bit more technical now. The gospel of grace quite simply, is the message of good news concerning Christ, the kingdom of God, and specifically salvation. That's pretty good, right? It's the gospel of grace is the good news about Christ, the kingdom, and salvation that everyone can have. Do you know that gospel? Let's get a little bit more technical here. Just, just, just keep breaking it down. The gospel is a proclamation of the grace of God. Okay, so I understand gospel, it's good news, but what is grace? Well, grace, quite, quite simply, is God's unmerited favor. What, is, what does it mean to have something unmerited? You know, I can remember being a kid and, and my first introduction to merits and demerits happened in band. Anyone in band here? I was in band and you could get demerits and you could get merits. Notice how I start with the demerits. Because I wasn't very good at getting the merits. I was also in football. I also played baseball. I also played, and I'm not saying that to impress you, but just to impress upon you the fact that I was always late to band because I was doing other curricular activities. And this is something the band directors didn't understand. That a coach will pop you. Now that doesn't happen anymore. And that's why we have problems. But anyway, (laughs) um, when I was in school, the coach could light you up. He would take a paddle made of solid oak and he would just whack and your cheeks would throb for 
an entire week, it felt like. Anyway, and then he says, look, you're, you, you miss my practice, you get pops. You're late to band, you get demerits. I'll take the demerit any day, right? Finally, I got too many demerits. Stay with me because the point, it has a point. I had too many demerits versus, uh, well, that's all I had, demerits. And so the band director says, hey, we're going to have to kick you out of band. You've reached the threshold. And so I said, I want to talk. I want a meeting. So they sat down with me and they said, it's really quite simple. You've got your merits here. Or your merits here, and you have your demerits. Your demerits are like this, and you have no merits. So you need some more merits to balance it out. Some of us think that life is the same way when it comes to heaven. We're trying to gain enough merits to get in over our demerits. Can I tell you, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, regardless of what you do, God has favor on you. You cannot earn it. You cannot get it yourself. So let's get more technical. The gospel requires us to understand that God is holy and sovereign. He's a holy, sovereign God. That means he's in charge. Why is that so important? Because so many people think that somehow our opinion matters. I'm just going to be straightforward. If God is the creator of heaven and earth and everything in the heavens, everything in the earth, under the earth, he is the creator of all and he stands supreme. Do we really get to say, well, to me, God is. No more than a Chevy truck can come off the assembly line and start dictating to GM what it's going to do. They go, of course not. It couldn't happen that way. But yet we try. Listen to what the Bible says. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that has been made. Why is that important? Because we need to understand our place, that we stand before an awesome God. An awesome God. Listen to this. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created through him and for him. You say, okay. So what does that mean? It means that he is awesome and is to be taken seriously. He's not only awesome, he's holy awesome. Watch this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. He can't even be touched by it. He can't even be touched by it. This is important. This is, this is philosophical talk here from James. How so? He's saying God is not only perfect, but evil can't even approach him. Listen to this. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. Why? Because he is holy. And Peter says, because he is holy, we are required to be holy. See, God is holy and sovereign and mankind is sinful. Do we know that? The Bible says in the book of Romans 3 verse 23, for all have sinned. Notice that's a technical word. All means what? In the Greek, it has a very technical meaning. It means all. (laughs) It means all have sinned and fallen short of the the glory of God. This is important. Please, I'm not trying to be... uh, um, 
I'm not trying to be cocky or arrogant. I just want to preach the gospel the way the Bible presents it. Because there's a lot of pastors today that say things like, man is technically good. I believe that most people are good people all over the world. 99% of them might be. Can I tell you that's not biblical? No, I'm going to tell you that the Bible says in the human heart abideth no good thing. No good thing. That if we are left to ourselves, we will corrupt absolutely. And so the Bible says this, mankind is sinful and sins, sin demands a penalty. Why? Because a perfect God cannot have anything to do with it. And a perfect judge will judge that sin. That's why the Bible says, for the wages of our sin is death. Death means separated from something. When we die physically, our spirit is separated from our bodies. When we die spiritually, our spirit will be separated from God. This is the gospel right here. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what's happening here? What's happening is this. We are to be holy as God is holy. The only problem is we can't get there in ourselves. What we have earned because we sinned is death. And the only way we can get there is to have someone take our place and provide a perfect substitute. And that someone is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord and Savior. So God is holy. Man is sinful. Sin demands a penalty. Jesus is Lord and Savior. And there is saving faith when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Bible says, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Jesus said this in Luke 13, three, he said, when they were describing different groups of people that had experienced tragedy and they were trying to say, well, were they worse? Are they, are, are they worse off? And that's why they had this tragedy befall them. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about the tragedy and who's worse and who's not. Remember this, you have to repent if you want to be saved. Everybody's in the same boat. Repent. What does it mean? It means I used to go this way. I used to think I had it all figured out. I used to put my trust in me. I was trying to build more merits than demerits. And I was doing this whole thing. And then Jesus showed me that without him, I am lost. I put my faith in him. Therefore, I turned and I now follow him. That's salvation. That's the gospel message. You see it there in Luke. You see it in 1 Thessalonians. Where Paul says, you used to worship idols, but you have turned to the true living God. So the gospel message is this. God is great, holy, and sovereign. We fell. Mankind fell. Because of that sin, we will be punished. We will face a judgment. But Jesus Christ is the Savior. And he came into this earth because of God's love to provide a way where there seemed to be no way. That's the gospel message. Now watch. Why the gospel message? That's number two. Why? Why? Well, I kind of got it from the technical, but, but I love this story 
that is found in Matthew. It's also found in Mark. It's the story of the rich young ruler. Because this tells us everything we need to know about why. Come on, stay with me. Everyone listen to me on this. This is an awesome story. We talked about the technicals. Now let's just talk about the heart of the matter. Number two is why the gospel message. Now there's a rich young man that comes to Jesus. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have, in one version it says, inherit eternal life. I want to be saved. I want to get to heaven. Good teacher, what good thing must I do? Now watch his use of the word good. Good is a philosophical, technical term. It is. We use it very loosely, but Jesus is about to check him. I love Jesus. I mean, he is just like, do you realize when you read the Bible, he'll check your heart. He'll say, what are we really talking about here? Are, you, are, are, we, are we serious? Are we on the same page? Because he says, good teacher, what good thing must I do? Watch that, mark that. Because Jesus' next comments to him is this. So he said to him, why do you call me good? Watch this. No one is good but one. Only God in heaven is good. So let's, let's, let's get on the same page. Are you calling me God? And the young man's going, I just want to know how to get to heaven. You have to understand grace if you want to know how to get to heaven. Come on, how many of you have ever experienced grace? How many of you have ever experienced grace? Raise your hand. If you're saved, you've experienced grace. But how about in your day-to-day life? Do you realize that no other world, none of the other heathen religions, none of the other heathen religions have grace? Not Hinduism, not Islam, not... Buddhism, Confucianism, Zoroastrianism, none of it. Christianity is the only one. And so I'm always amazed when I see grace. I can remember my, one of my first experiences with grace was with my father. I've told you the story that I skipped school at, 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 in first grade and I took my younger brother who was in kindergarten with me for an entire week in San Antonio West side, right off of Culebra Street, there's a little elementary school called Loma Park. And we went in, we waited for mom to leave, and then we took off. The bus driver didn't let us on the bus. If not, who knows where we would have been. I was trying to go everywhere I could. I was just having a great old time. I'll never forget, started on Monday, got caught on Friday. My aunt took me to my grandma's house where she called my dad. And I heard her talking to my dad. And it went something like this. Lupe, I want you to remain calm. But I found Chris and Aaron walking on whatever street, Hildebrand, whatever. And they've been skipping school for an entire week. I could hear my dad's anger through the phone. And I could hear my aunt continue to say, Lupe, I need you to stay calm. You're, you're going to need to calm down before you see your son. I'll let you go. She says, you've got about 15 minutes He was there in five. (laughs) I remember him running through the front door, banging open the door with one hand. He had his belt 
He, he looked like Braveheart. You know, he just pulled that freedom type of thing. You know, it was like crazy. And he grabs me by the arm. I'm trying to say something. Nothing can come out. He grabs me by the arm and I'm floating. I'm walking on air. He throws me in the room. I'm on the ground and he is about, he says, I don't know how to communicate how dangerous your actions were. But I'm going to do it. He says, I don't know how, but I'm going to do it. And I thought, and just then he starts to cry. And he's looking at me with tears in his eyes and he says, son, he drops the belt and he drops to his knees and he looks at me and he says, come on, if you're a father, you know what I'm talking about. You could have been kidnapped, you could have been hurt, you could have been run over, I could be, I want you to know that I love you. And I never want you to do that again. And he held me. And he showed me grace. Come on, how many of you know grace is awesome? Grace is awesome. I'll tell you something else. I got grace going through a a school zone the other day. I was speeding. Cop lit me up. He goes, you know how fast you were going? I said, no. He says, you were going 45 in a 20 or what is it? I said, I was. He goes, you didn't see me, did you? I said, no, I looked right at you. I didn't know it was a school zone. I actually lied a little bit, but not intentionally. What I, <laughs> what I meant to say is I didn't know it was school zone time. You know, it was like it, it was 2.05 and it starts at 2, right? And he comes back after he checked my uh, license and registration. He hands it to me and he says, have a good day. It's just a warning. Come on, how many of you know grace is good? See, Jesus is trying to introduce this young man to grace because he's talking about good. He's talking about how many demerits, how many merits versus demerits do I need? What do I have to do to get in? Come on, isn't the way we think sometimes in Jesus saying you don't understand salvation? Quit calling me good unless you call me God. If I'm God, then you're halfway there, right? Because you're staring the Savior in the face and you can recognize me. Watch what happens next. He says, what good thing must you do? Okay, if we're talking good things, then let's just go to the law. Have you kept the law? Keep the commandments. And what does he ask Jesus? I love it. Come on, this is funny. Which ones? All of them, all of them without missing a beat. Watch where Jesus starts. Watch where Jesus starts. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You should not steal. Come on, let's just start there. How many of you have ever murdered? See, some are familiar with the teaching. He wasn't familiar with the teaching. Jesus said in his most popular message, a sermon on the mount, Thou shalt not murder, and you think, don't take anyone's life. But I tell you, God's threshold is not just don't take anyone's life. If you curse someone, if you speak ill of them, if you gossip them, you have murdered them. Any murderers in the room? Okay, we've got a few liars now. 
right? <laughs> but, but let's just be honest here. He says, thou shalt not murder. How about adultery? He says, you've heard it said, don't sleep with someone who's not your spouse. But I tell you, if you look at someone and you lust in your heart, oh my goodness, in America today, any adulterers in the room? Yeah. Then he says, if you've ever said yes or no and didn't fulfill your word, didn't keep to your word perfectly, you've just lied. Any liars in the room? So I just want to make sure the congregation I'm pastoring is full of adultering, murdering, lying. Right? Have you ever taken something that's not yours? Have you ever disrespected your mom and dad in any way? You know, he just goes through and he's trying to teach the young man, hey, look, you can't do it. And listen to what the, what the young man says. The young man says to him, all these things I have kept since I was little. What else do I lack? He's not getting it, is he? That's why he used good so loosely. We use good very loosely. We think we're going to, every time I witness to somebody, they always have this arrogant attitude. I'm not that bad. You don't understand how good God is. Watch this. All these things I've done since I was a kid. Jesus said to him, if you want to be what? Perfect. Let's just quit playing around and let's get to the matter. You need your heart. See, what was Jesus' teaching about adultery? It's about the heart. Jesus' teaching about murder, it's about the heart. So he says, he's not understanding. Let's just get to the heart. What else did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Where your treasure is, there your... Okay, you want to be saved? Give me your heart. Go give away your treasure so that your treasure no longer has your heart. And then you can give it to me. That's exactly what Jesus said. Read it real carefully. He said, go sell your treasure. Give it away. And then you come follow me. Make me your treasure. Ooh. What happens? What happens? Look, follow me. Verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away. How sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So how can a camel go through the eye of a needle? In ancient times, the cities had walls and they had huge city gates that you could pass through. No problem. But once those gates were closed for whatever reason, um, the, and they were ordered closed by the, by the, the city uh, leadership, you had what was called a small gate. It was called the eye of a needle. It was just big enough, right in the wall, for one man to come through. Now imagine if you showed up with a camel, packed up with all kinds of stuff. You'd have to unpack it, put it through, and then get the camel on his knees, and you'd have to get that camel to scoot. Jesus said that camel's more willing to scoot than a man is. 
The camel's more willing to scoot than rich men are. You go, oh, I'm glad I'm not rich. If you're in America, you're rich. (laughs) You're rich. This is what he's saying. So watch what his disciples say. Verse 25. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men, this is impossible. Why the gospel of grace? Because it's impossible for us to get there without the miracle working grace power of God. That's what it says. Read it. With men, that means with us, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus is sitting there with a smile saying, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. So the gospel of grace is for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Put your heart, put your trust in him. The last last point is how do we share the gospel of grace? I'll tell you how we share it with all of our heart. Like our family's eternity depends on it. Like our friend's eternity depends on it. Like our co-worker's eternity depends on it. Like our children's eternity depends on it. Like our father and mother's eternity depends on it. We share it like today might be the only day of salvation for them. I can tell you story after story of, of, of things like this. I was leading a funeral for a beautiful young lady who had just had her second child. She died tragically. Her husband asked me to lead the funeral. I'm leading the funeral. And there in the crowd sat Pastor, Pastor Larry. He turns to his wife and he says, I love the way this young man preaches the gospel at the funeral. And he said, when I die, let him do my funeral. One day later, I had a call. He had been tragically killed on 95, head-on collision. And I was doing his funeral. That's why the Bible says the day of Saturday. Now, he was saved. But what I'm saying is we've got to act like tomorrow's not guaranteed. Because guess what? It's not. It's not guaranteed. I want to tell you a story, and this is where we end of a... A story that took place on April 15th, 1912. A story undoubtedly you've heard many times from many different perspectives, but maybe never from this perspective. The setting is in the northern Atlantic. Over 1,500 lives were lost that day. It's the story of the great Titanic, the ship that was touted as being unsinkable. When its creators marketed Her, they said, she was the largest, greatest of her kind. She could never be sunk. And you had to come and be a part of this epic day in history. Little did they know. They adorned her and furnished her with the greatest the world had to offer and welcome dignitaries, statesmen, and rich aristocrats from all over the world. One story that's not always told is of a young 39-year-old Scottish Baptist preacher by the name of John Harper. See, John Harper had been raised in a very poor family, but they always taught him the word of God and the gospel of grace. 
at about 17, he gave his life to Christ when his life verse came alive to him, and that's John 3.16. He didn't have enough money to go to college or go to seminary. Instead, he went and worked in the factory mills there outside of his neighboring town. But a zeal for the gospel began to burn inside his heart as he devoured the word of God. God just downloaded and anointed him to preach it. He never sought to be a preacher in the traditional sense. Any street corner would do, and he would preach open air. In fact, people would say there was none like him. He could capture the attention of a bustling, chaotic crowd. His voice would carry, and he had the way of getting to the gospel message like no one else that made bystanders and bywalkers stand riveted and give their lives to Christ. His fame or his, his, his blessed gift preceded him all the way to America where Moody Bible Church or Moody Church, the great Moody Church that was founded by D.L. Moody, the great American evangelist, invited him to come do a three-week crusade that turned into three months because the power of the Lord fell. I want to read to you what life a faith magazine had to say his services were attended with such a rich blessing and anointing that his visit lengthened into three months and the Moody Church passed through, through one of its most wonderful revivals in its history. So when he finally leaves back to London, He's met there with a letter from Moody Church inviting him to come be the pastor. He puts things in order and he's going to go pastor this awesome church in Chicago that's known the world over for what it represents. He decides to, listen to this, to delay his trip by one week so that he can be part of that voyage. That first maiden voyage of the Titanic. Why? He wanted to do something special for his daughter who had lost her mom while she was giving her birth. He was a widower. He's there on the ship experiencing all of its grandness when all of a sudden they hit an iceberg. He's wakened from his sleep. He goes to check and it's worse than anyone thinks. He quickly returns to his room. He wraps his daughter in a blanket. And he says, baby girl, you've got to get up. We've got to go quickly. I got to get you to a lifeboat. He makes his way to the deck where they're lowering passengers down in lifeboats. His sister, who is his nanny, gets in the lifeboat and takes his daughter. He kisses her on the forehead for a few seconds, tells her that he'll be there for her shortly but he has to go do what his God has called him to do. He kisses her on the forehead, turns to leave, and his daughter still remembers that she could hear that beautiful preaching voice of her father echo through the night air on top of all of the chaos 
women and children and the unsaved in the lifeboats. Women and children and the unsaved in the lifeboats. If you want to know Jesus, you can. His name is Jesus. Put your trust in him for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For all who believe, for with the mouth you confess and with the heart you believe unto salvation, be saved, be saved. And one man rejects him and he grabs the man and he says, then take my life jacket. You need it more than I do. As the man puts his life jacket on, happy to be so-called saved in the physical, Pastor Harper goes through praying and asking those to be saved. And survivors tell the story that they were riveted at this man's ability to just preach such hope in the midst of such fear. As the Titanic went down, you could still hear moans and fear cries and horror, but you could hear one man's voice above it all, preaching Jesus is the way. Turn your life over to Jesus while there's still time. There's still time. Let me tell you how, and he's quoting the gospel, open air, the way God created him to. Four years later, there's a reunion of survivors where one particular man says, I was Pastor Harper's last convert. And he filled my heart with so much hope. I believe that's the reason I made it. See, he grabbed a piece of debris and they were all floating. And Pastor Harper was floating, swimming, preaching, coming up to people, pleading with them to accept Jesus. He came up to me and I rejected him. And he kept pleading with me with tears in his eyes. He would plead the gospel with me. I rejected him and he wouldn't stop until I finally realized I've got miles of ocean underneath. I'm probably going to die. And the Lord melted my heart. I received him only to see my preacher fade away. And minutes later, I was saved. I stand here, a forgiven follower of Jesus Christ, having received the gospel because a young Scottish preacher cared to do what he was called to do. Mm. How do you preach the gospel with all your heart? Like their life depends on it. You say, Pastor, if I'm ever on an ocean liner that's sinking, I hope I can do that. You're on an ocean liner and it's sinking. The world and all of its lusts are passing away. Our Savior King returns soon. Get ready. Let that be our testimony. I want to tell you about a special opportunity that we have. But not before I tell you that God is doing something, something remarkable in our church. Since COVID, our numbers are, are back to where they were and we're quickly eclipsing those. But more than that, not only have we grown our weekly attendance here physically, our online attendance has been booming. I'm talking booming. We have a lot of, of members that haven't made it back yet, but they are watching faithfully and they're starting to communicate how much they appreciate it. 
Not only that, we've had a 500% increase in our online. If you take all of our online, which means our different vehicles, our different methods, our different ways of engaging people, it it gets close to a 1,000% increase. A 1,000% increase. Isn't that amazing? In the last three months, we've had over 100 baptisms. Our discipleship has exploded threefold. We're doing amazing things, but the most important thing that I'm excited about is our online presence. Every day I get a testimony of, I never would have found you. I'm from Austin, I'm from Houston, but I found you online. I couldn't stop listening. I listened to three, four, one guy listened to 20 messages before he ever came. 20 messages. Do you realize that as the night gets darker, The voices are becoming fewer. And they're grateful for the voice of the gospel that's being shared from this platform. Amen? They're grateful for that. And so, I'm going to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to be part of our expansion. We're expanding. We're not expanding in the physical. We're expanding online. We're calling it our fourth service. Our fourth service And our online campus, our online campus, you say, what are we doing? I want you to think about this. Right now, we've just kind of been doing it, but after COVID, it's been exploding. We have one camera. Turn around, look at the camera. Wait. One camera. It's one of these. Can I tell you, this is so old and so out of date, they won't even take it on a trade. I said, well, can you give me anything? $5. Nope. (laughs) We don't want it. We just have to throw it away. Why don't you do that? So what I'm telling you is, what if we, what if we said, Lord, help us expand this ministry? What if we viewed this camera as not a camera, but as a missionary? What if we viewed it as a minister of the gospel? A Scottish young pastor that can reach out in the open air and preach the good news like it was preached today. We've got people reaching out to us from San Antonio, from Lubbock, from Dallas, from Michigan. Some people listen from Michigan because they're friends of the family here. We've got people in, in Florida. We've got people all over this great United States. But it doesn't stop there. We can reach the world because this missionary can go anywhere. Where we see fit. And I'm going to ask you to see it as a mission field. And I'm going to ask you to give. It'll be a six-month offering. It's entitled Grateful Heart. Grateful Heart. You say, well, what is it? I want you to give above and beyond your tithe for the next six months. Pray. And engage the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's a matter of the heart. So if the Holy Spirit puts on your heart $5, then give $5. Give it joyfully. Maybe it's $50. Then give $50. Maybe it's $500, $5,000. It doesn't matter. I believe the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need and he'll provide for the need. Amen? He'll provide for the need. So I have some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is we have the money. The bad news is it's still in your pocket. (laughs) 
Amen. (laughs) Why don't you pray? Just pray. I'm going to leave it between you and the Holy Spirit. You say, what's a faith promise? A faith promise is saying, Lord, after praying, I believe you're going to give me the ability to meet what I committed to. You say, but why do I need a, why do you need to know my commitment? The reason we'd like to know is because it gives us a good faith estimate on how to budget. What we can do and what we can start making plans to do. Amen? You say, but what if I don't make it? If you don't make it, then just keep coming. <laughs> keep coming, do what you can. I promise you, no one from this church or from our team will call you up and go, hey, it's not about that. It's about the heart. Amen? Give what you can. I don't want you to give today, and it doesn't have to be all at once. In the next few weeks, I'll explain more details on how to make your commitment and how you can set up your giving. Right now, I just want to introduce it and have you to start praying. What has the Holy Spirit spoken to your heart today? Would you just take some time as you grab your communion supply and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Lord Jesus, we put our faith in you. Your word says that the just shall live by faith and that salvation is from faith to faith. Lord, help us walk knowing that you'll soon return. And until you do, we say thank you. We love you. I love you, church. Have a great, great week.